Um, I want to share uh, a few questions with you this morning. Now, I'm assuming that if you have been mar- if you're married, if you've had a wedding, that you have at least attended your own ceremony. Now, I don't think that's assuming too much, whether it's just going to the courthouse or whether it was a big elaborate thing, whether it was on a beach someplace or whether it was on a family farm. I'm, I'm just going to assume that if you are married, you have attended at least one wedding. So apart from your wedding, and this is for everybody, makes the question for everybody, how many of you have attended a wedding before? Okay, that's the, for, for the adults in the room, that's pretty unanimous, all right? That's probably the close, uh, the, the only time the church has been unanimous on anything. So, um, we, we have been to a wedding. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you went to that wedding um, expecting all the attention and all the focus to be on you? I, I knew who was going to raise their hands then, okay? Um, we'll talk later. Um, Kristen Elliott, uh, our new student pastor's wife, has done some counseling, um, and uh, I think you guys might need to talk with her a little bit. But we just don't do that. We don't go to a wedding expecting to be the focal point. Okay, we don't, ladies, we, we don't wear a dress trying to outdo whatever the bride is going to wear. If you do, that's like a bad sitcom, okay? Don't do it. Right? Guys, we don't try to outdress uh, and out-handsome the groom. That's not that's the whole purpose. We don't try to out-cute the flower girl and the ring bearer. We just don't do that. If we do, shame on us. If we walk away from a wedding disappointed because nobody noticed my new shoes or my dress or my, my, my clothes or my haircut, if we walk away because we didn't get the attention, shame on us. That's not the purpose of the wedding day. The wedding day, unless you are the bride or the groom, is not about you. It's all about that father walking his daughter down the aisle and handing, him, handing her over to that man who's going to, uh, to, 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 to live life alongside her. It's all about that mom choking back the tears and, and enjoying that day. It's, 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 it's about a bride and a groom coming together. That's it. Not about how good I look. Not about how, uh, uh, like, I actually tucked my shirt in for you guys. That's how much I love you. It's not about any of that stuff. It's only about the bride and the groom. And as believers in Jesus Christ, our Christian walk is the same way. It's not really about us. It's all about the Savior who died to make us possible. And it's also all about what John is talking about in John chapter 3. Okay, now imagine this, all right? Uh, in John chapter 3 and verse 25, it says a discussion arose. Now, discussion is Bible for disagreement, okay? Arguing. So, there's this argument that's going on. So, in, in, in John chapter 3 in verse 25, let's read the words of John together. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, right? He's talking about Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how, 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 how John, Jesus and John were both baptizing. And uh, we, we, he so that guy, right, whom you bore witness to, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. 
You yourselves bore witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these few sentences that remind us, uh, that show us an example of one of your faithful servants who realized his role, his responsibility in your grand story. God, I pray that for one final Sunday that, that, we, can, that we can just focus in on this example that John gives us, uh, the, uh, an example that our brothers have given us, and ultimately the example that Christ gives us, that, there's, that, that there's, the story is bigger. God, and help us to be willing to accept our role in that story. God, we love you. We pray that your spirit would just open our ears and open our hearts as we talk just a little bit about these few verses and how they apply to our walk as Christians. And God, may we be able to say, to echo those same words, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Father God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're reading in your Bible in chapter 4 and you get down to, uh, to verse number 29, it says the, fr- the, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom in the next sentence. So this friend of the bridegroom is what we would call a best man, right? That's our term for it, right? Ancient Israelites or ancient Jews or even Galileans and those that living in that had a word for it as well. In the Greek, it is shoshben. It's just, our, just their word for our best man. Now, where our best man is mainly in charge of the bachelor party and that type of thing, it was a little bit more serious uh, for a Jewish wedding because the shoshben was in charge of making sure that all the details of the wedding were set. And his final responsibility was to listen and to watch for the groom to be coming. Now, there's a little bit of difference in the customs between a Judean and a Galilean wedding, but it's basically the same, right? Maybe the groom had spent that betrothal time, that, you remember Jeremiah talking to us about that in the, in the summer, that betrothal time, or he was adding one to dad's house because that's where his family was going to, to reside. So maybe he's just watching for him to finish that and he sees him coming and it's the wedding day and the, the, all the family and friends in the town are all there waiting and just waiting and waiting. And it is the shoshben, the best man, the friend's responsibility to watch and to listen for the bridegroom. And when he hears his voice, when he sees him coming, right, he gets excited. His joy is complete. In our weddings, when, when we hear, uh, when, we, when the lights may be dim, when all the wedding party is up in front, right, and you hear the door sort of thud shut, right, and then you hear the, the, the march music come on, what do we do? We automatically stand up. Right? Why? Because the bride has been announced. This shoshben, he's, he's a little bit different tradition. He's announcing the groom so that the wedding party, the wedding, those who are ready to, to feast and to party and to celebrate know that the groom has arrived. And when he does, when he sees the, the groom take the bride's hand, he can sit back and just have complete joy because his job is done.
He has yelled. He has screamed. Uh, he is, he's coming. Everybody's in their right places. Right? The music plays. The service starts. And the showman's job is done and his joy is complete. Church, that's the same responsibility that we bear as believers. John the Baptist gives us this awesome example of, of somebody recognizing their role and their place in God's story. And over the last month, you've seen some pretty good examples from your brothers, those that you have played church softball with, those that you go on camping trips with, those that you, you, know, you, you do things with in care group. You've heard examples from their lives who, who are mimicking that same thing. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I need to decrease so Jesus can, can increase. Because a person can't pray like Nat Miller did and say, God, let us be a conduit of God's love. He shared with, the, he, he shared with us that, that the only thing special about him was the fact that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He talked about when his youngest daughter uh, was sick and how the only way that he could inject poison into his daughter's body in order to heal her was understanding that God is sovereign and in control. The only way that he could love the way he needed to as a father in that time, and I believe all throughout the rest of the Miller family life, is by understanding that God must increase and I must decrease. Jason White shared about how that one day in, in, in Columbus that the family surrounded the bed of Katie um, and the doctor said, you need to say goodbye. So a phone, phone conversation with, a, with an older brother and uh, a praying and Jason could only pray in that moment, God, we're placing her in your hands if he believed that God was mightier and had a better plan for his daughter than he could ever have. Jason could only pray that. A grandpa could only pray that. A mother could only pray that if she understands that there's a sovereign God in control. Right? And Mark alluded to it last, uh, last week about um, even if God doesn't come through in this instance, he's still our, he's still, we are still faithful to him because we know he has something better in control. Joe Lizer talked about a generational faith how even the mention of his grandpa's name got him out of trouble. Because if you're related to him, you got to be a pretty good fellow yourself. And Joe is only able to talk about that generational faith because a grandpa lived a life of de-elevating himself and elevating a heavenly father. And he also encouraged us that maybe you are the start of your family's generational faith. That type of living can only come if we elevate Jesus and lower ourselves in priority and importance. Last week, Mark Elliott shared with you how, how student ministry has never been a stepping stone for him. It was never a, 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 just a, a, a pathway to something bigger and better. It was always where God had called him to be and to serve that he shared with his favorite verse that I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Moms and dads, 
That should be one of our top verses as well, a desire for our children to be walking in the truth and making our joy complete. A Mark and a Kristen Elliott can't devote a decade after decade of serving others in church ministry without elevating the priority and importance of Jesus and decreasing the priority of look at me and look at what I'm doing. Okay? This week, I want you to hear me saying as humbly and as powerfully as I can that the story is not about you. It's about someone who can do far more than you could ever do, who can provide much more than you can even pretend to offer to yourself or to anybody else. And that only happens when we elevate a sovereign God and decrease the attention on ourselves. So my question is after reading of John, after listening to a Nat and a Jason, a, a, a Joe and a Mark, my question to you is how are you doing in these areas? How are you doing, as Nat said, about recognizing our true identity right, in Christ? Right? Not as a worker, not as a teacher, not as a, a policeman, not, not, not as a retiree, not even as a husband or a wife or a mom or dad or a grandparent, but our true identity, our final identity, resting in the fact that we are image bearers of God, redeemed and rescued by Jesus Christ. How are you, as, as, as Jason demonstrated, uh, as he sort of borrowed, as he hijacked Paul's words um, that, uh, of saying, your will is better than mine. God, God, do, I want to choose your will, your path, rather than what I might come up with. How are you at doing what Joe encouraged us to do and being intentional in our faith, not just leaving it to chance? Right? Or what Mark encouraged us about seeing eternal, lasting joy over just the happiness that the culture might provide us today that's gone tomorrow. How do we do those things? And those are still sort of nebulous applications, nebulous, these sort of out here, uh, and, and we, could, we could think about them for a second, but as soon as we say amen and we'll leave, we're going to forget all about it. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to zero in just a little bit more. How do we right, quit looking anywhere and everywhere else for our identity? How do we Right? Uh, not just be nostalgic about, about the past, forgetting all the bad stuff, but, but remembering the bad stuff and sharing it. Remember, um, that, that was one of the things that, that Joe shared with us. Like, don't, don't hide the past. I've shared with you before that my dad took a hard line uh, on drinking alcohol when, when, our, when we were growing up as kiddos. And because I love my dad, because I respected my dad, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll follow that. I really didn't know why, because the Bible says, don't get drunk. Dad's saying, don't even look at the stuff. And it wasn't until I learned that my hero in the faith, hero in life, my grandfather, almost lost his family and his wife because of alcoholism. And now I understood a little bit better why dad said, don't even think about it. Because I've lived through that. So don't hide, parents. Don't hide our past from our children. Let them learn from your experiences and your failures. One of my biggest prayers in life is that Chamberlain and Kendrick and Carrington and Kennedy learn from my mistakes so they don't have to repeat them. Yes, they're going to make their own mistakes, but let's not make the same ones that dad made. 
How do, we, how do we quit leaving our present and our future just to chance? How are we intentional? And how do we make sure that we have these blinders on so that we do not let anybody else or anything else dictate how we live our life? Nothing other than the Word of God, an example of Christ. And it happens, the only way that we can do that is by remembering. So we remember... And we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. We remember and we celebrate his resurrection at Easter. On the second and the fourth Sundays here, we represent his death and resurrection through sharing communion together. Right? But we, we need these, so we need these constant reminders in front of us. So this week, we want to give you something to help remind you of how to reflect back on those things. So it's, it's the one sheet, and we didn't do it through this, this series on purpose because we wanted to be able to wrap everything up. So if you are an app user, or if you get the weekly email, it's on your phone, or it's a, it's a link away in your email. If you don't do any of those things, and you want to, see me or Mark or, 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 or Kennedy, and we will get you added to that, all right? But if you want a piece of paper on your way out, our, 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 our hospitality team will have a sheet of paper for you to take with you to remind you of all of those five things that we've talked about over the last month of how, how we can remember where our true identity lies because God himself says, you are mine, Isaiah 43 and other places. How we, are, how we remember who we were once, but who we are now. John 3, 16 and 17, Galatians chapter 4, at just the right time, God says, I stepped in and saved you, of how we need to be intentional about our present and our future, where Philippians and Deuteronomy and all these other places that we can go to for reminders that follow the example of my son, your savior from Philippians 2 that we read, right? Or make the most of the time given to you. And we see in Deuteronomy 6, when you, when you get up, when you lay down, when you're walking on the road, when you're going to remember, keep the word of God in front of you. How do we not parcel out God? A fantastic example that Mark gave us last week of the old school trays. We also used them, Mark, at, at family reunions. My mom had a stack of them, right? No, no flimsy um, styrofoam plates for us. No, the foremans are professional eaters. Uh, so we had, uh, we had those things for, for family reunions too. And how even if God is the biggest section of that, that is not right because God is never to be parceled out. God is not even to be prioritized, church. God is to be all. The problem with priorities, if you're anything like me, is that my list of priorities gets messed up constantly. And I try to keep God at the top of it, but sometimes he floats down. And God is everything, not a section on a tray, not a priority on a list of priorities. He is our all. And we remember that by going to places like the very beginning of scripture that God created I can't say that. God created. And he, the Colossians 1, God's saying, remember, I hold everything together. Right? John 17 tells us that even before man was on the planet, what was God doing? He was loving before the beginning of time. Right? God is everything, not just the biggest section on our lunch tray or the number one priority in our day. God is everything, and we need to remember that. We need to remember that it's, it's not about us, that our job, as we see in John chapter 1, is to cry out in the wilderness. 
Right? Uh, not just, as Matt said, not just the wilderness, but our wilderness. Right, remember that our job is not to convict. Our job is not to save. Our job is to speak, to cry out, and let the Holy Spirit have a chance to do what he is supposed to do. So that is the one sheet. It's to remind us right, of what we need to be looking at and where we are in the story. And from this one sheet, then it is easier for us to take from in our life because what Andy Bartlett needs to do may be completely different from what Tony Foreman needs to do and different from what Amy Borderman needs to do. But it reminds us in all of those areas how we should do something. So maybe... <coughs> Maybe this week or in the coming weeks, we can encourage you uh, to live out that, that, that idea that you are of who you are as an image bearer of God. Maybe you need to go and do something for somebody and don't take the easy way out. Don't go and do something for somebody that you naturally and it's easy for you to love like a spouse. And I'm not saying don't do nice things for your spouse, but step outside of that because while you were still a sinner, Christ did something pretty amazing for you. Go and do something for somebody who can't do something for themselves or somebody who you don't think deserves your goodness or the goodness of God. As we, as someone who was once lost and is now redeemed, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, why don't you tell that same powerful story to somebody who needs to hear it? You don't have all the answers. You don't have to have all the theology just right. It's just sharing what Jesus did in your life and what he can do in theirs. As, a, as, an, as, as you're being intentional, as we're striving to be intentional in our life, maybe moms and dads, husbands and wives, we need to start saying no to some things that are distracting us from what is more important. Maybe we need to say yes to some things that, 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 that matters more. Right? For you, that may be different than me. Right? My kiddos are, are, are adults. Right? They're, 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 they're on their own. They can take care of themselves. So what I may need to do in being a, 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 intentional right, is different from what you need to do if you're rocking your baby uh, during a church service. We need to quit scheduling, quit parceling out God. Instead of cramming him into the, uh, the time when your coffee pot's percolating and the kids start waking up, right? what if you cash in on a, on a gift that God has given you? It's this idea of Sabbath. We try to talk about that around here a little bit, right? of a day set apart from him. You don't think you can do 24 hours? Start with 12. You don't think you can do 12? Uh, do, a, do four not of trying to prioritize God, but by just giving him that block of time. God, what do you want to teach me out of this? And then just listen for what he is doing. Rest in who he is. Not parceling him out, but giving him everything. How do we remember and how do we put into practice that it's not about you? If we remember that this is all about God and we remember our role in his grand story, that our role is to cry out in the wilderness. Our, our role is to make straight paths for Jesus coming in, to remove barriers and obstacles from somebody that we know and love or just know from meeting Jesus, right? What can we do? Some of us need to quit hijacking 
and tainting our witness. Okay? Some of us need to be more focused on what, we, what matters most. What does that mean? For some of us, it means getting rid of a Facebook account, a Twitter account, a social media account. Some of us, it means counting to 10 before you hit reply uh, on a social media post. Okay? Some of us, it, it, it means, hey, I don't need to watch that sitcom anymore because it, 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 I end up repeating it rather than repeating this. For some of us, it means, you know what, I, I need to say no to the fourth night away from my family and run home to our wife and to our children right, and just spend time in, with them. Right? Our story is not about us, but we have the most important message to proclaim. And church, anything that we say or do or like or post that tears somebody down, right, ultimately ends up hurting our witness. Right? And we should care more about our witness of Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ than anything else in our life. So what do we need to do, right, in order for us to do that? We, some of us, right, maybe need to quit using family as something to hide behind, right, instead of pulling your family with you and serving God together. Where's dad this evening? Oh, he's at another thing at church taking care of something. Where's mom this morning? Well, she's at this uh, working. What if we started doing things together as a faith family, as your individual faith family, rather than, than letting church and church work fragment us even more. Okay? So this week, whether it's on your phone, whether you're already looking at it, whether you pick it up and, and you put it on your, your, your fridge, uh, in your car someplace so you can look at it at lunchtime, constant reminders of that this story is not about us, that it's about the one who came and did what we could not do, who died a death that should have been ours because we are the sinful ones, not the one who died for us, but he took on our sins. He became like us and he died our death in order so that we could have his life and his righteousness. I pray that over the past five weeks, as you've seen the example of John the Baptist, as you've, as you've got just a glimpse into the, the lives of a, of a Nat Miller and a Jason White, of a Joe Lizer and a Mark Elliott, right? That all of those examples, are those guys perfect? No, right? And I have a feeling that they would be the first to tell you that they're not. As we look at the example of John the Baptist and him understanding his role, was John the Baptist perfect? No, right? He said, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. He realized he wasn't perfect, the perfect example that we have is the one that those five individuals and many, many more are pointing us to, the one that we read about in Philippians 2, who came and took on flesh and lived just like me and you and paid the price that we all should have paid in our place. One day, every knee is going to bow. My prayer is when, you're, when you bow, whether it's now, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's in between now and Jesus returning, that that's something that you are led by the Spirit to do of your own accord and not something that you are forced to do at the end of time. Because my understanding is then it's going to be a tad too late for you. I pray that through constant study, through constant community, through constant of elevating Jesus and recognizing who we are and who he is, that we make much, much, much more of him 
and less, less, less of us. Would you pray together?